What was that? I think I just nudged the wall. Mm, I don't this think whole so. thing falls apart. I mean, more than it already has. I think there's a merman back there. <laughs> I'm a merman. <laughs> See, it's great. Yeah, it is pretty good. Halloween class. It's me, Andy Sell. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ghoul School, a horror history podcast here on the Unpops Network. Before we get into today's very special episode, I want to share with you something that I got a kick out of the other day. That's right. I say got a kick out of. I am spamming that 40 button and I am not looking back, baby. Just a little something I observed out in the wild that tickled me and I think might tickle you as well. But I digress yet again. If you like the show enough so that all of the scheduling problems and lapses in release haven't completely turned you off at this point and you want to do something nice for us, please go and rate and review us on iTunes and wherever else. I know that every podcast asks you to do this and there's a reason for it. It really does help us. So that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, let me tell you about this cool thing that I really nerded out over. But as all things on this podcast, that will first require a little context. I love killer doll movies, so much so that I will probably at some point do a scene devoted to them or a handful of episodes devoted to them. And of course, the name that's probably cemented in your head right now just at the mention of killer dolls movies is Chucky. Child's Play's Chucky, arguably the most iconic killer doll Directed by Tom Holland and released in 1988, Child's Play was a huge success despite a popular anti-Child's Play protest movement who felt that the film would inspire violence in children. Now, whether you would consider yourself a horror fan or not, you can pick out Chucky in a lineup. You know what he looks like. He was almost immediately an icon. Not since Freddy Krueger, earlier in the decade, had a horror character become so popular and so recognizable so immediately. And there's a reason for this. If you were alive in the 1980s, you can almost certainly point to this reason. It's as easy as going on to Google and typing in the words, My Buddy. My Buddy was a toy launched in 1985 by Hasbro in an attempt to create a doll market for little boys. Now, whether this was for the obvious reasons of profit and capitalism, or it was a genuine progressive attempt to break down the gender barriers in children's recreation and education, and maybe detoxify 
80s masculinity a little bit is up for debate, maybe, but you can't argue against the results, at least not in how they apply to Chucky. What you may not know about Child's Play is that the original script for it, written by screenwriter Don, was titled Blood Buddy, and it was definitely inspired by the My Buddy doll line. And even though that original script was darker, more satirical, and carried some different themes, some of which can be seen pretty apparently in the 2019 Child's Play remake, the end product in 1988 and its supernatural antagonist still bore that influence literally on its sleeves. The only real difference you'll notice if you examine photos of Chucky and the My Buddy doll is in color scheme and the fact that My Buddy wears a hat, whereas Chucky does not. In fact, in the original script, Blood Buddy, Chucky's name was Buddy. And though the changes made to the script by Tom Holland and Dave Kirshner in developing it for the film that would eventually be called Child's Play, and even some of the other original concepts for Buddy, were clearly inspired by other dolls in both fictional culture and real-life marketing, such as Talkie Tina from the Living Doll episode of The Twilight Zone, and the Cabbage Patch dolls, and even an element of Betsy Wetsy in the original screenplay, the core parallel will always remain between Chucky and the My Buddy doll. In fact, there are probably people who believe that the two are one and the same. I've actually heard the fictional good guys toy line from the Child's Play movies referred to as the My Buddy dolls in conversations about the franchise. They're almost inseparable because they kind of occupied the same space and time. There is an oft-repeated myth that it was the Child's Play movies that killed the My Buddy line. But as far as I can deduce, this isn't true. The My Buddy line simply didn't do what it meant to do. After its first successful year, sales dropped off and interest waned. And things like the Wrestling Buddy dolls and My Pet Monster provided conservative parents with a more safely macho and traditionally masculine doll analog for little boys. This was the Reagan 80s, after all. And though Hasbro's subsidiary play school revamped and reintroduced the My Buddy line in the 1990s, eventually the product just died off. But Chucky did not. Child's Play ended up spawning six sequels of varying quality and success, a remake, and an upcoming television series. And of course, what horror icon could be called an icon without merchandise, including Halloween costumes? And this is where I get a kick. You see, there are officially licensed Child's Play Chucky Halloween costumes. But as anyone who's been inside a spirit can tell you, Halloween superstores are packed to the gills with knockoff costume accessories. I really wish someone would do like a history of the knockoff Halloween costume thing because I'm kind of fascinated by it. You know what I'm talking about. They must be these fly-by-night operations that just pump out slightly off versions of recognizable iconographic intellectual properties. Which is interesting because that's kind of a thing in the horror genre filmmaking-wise as well. You have your Italian ripoffs. You have the Asylum Mockbuster. You have, hell, William Castle. You have F.W. Murnau being sued by the Stoker estate 
while he was making Nosferatu, which isn't a knockoff, it's an adaptation, but you know where I'm going with this. The costume. Wednesday Adams becomes weekday goth. Harry Potter becomes spectacled wizard boy. Jason Voorhees becomes hockey mask killer or something. These things are everywhere. So the other day, when I walked into the Mad Monster Halloween store in Studio City, which is actually a really cool little Halloween shop that seems to be associated with the Mad Monster Party Horror Convention in Arizona, somehow they sell Mad Monster Party t-shirts. They actually also have like a bunch of stuff from Creepsville. But I went in there as I just do in this. I like to go to Halloween stores and walk around. It's a thing. It's great. But I'm in the slasher section, you know, hockey masks, sexy Michael Myers coveralls, prop chainsaws, the stuff. And lo and behold, there is a child's play knockoff costume called My Buddy. And yeah, I laughed out loud in the store like a lunatic. Because here we have The idea of influence and imitation and zeitgeist coming full circle. The meme writes itself, TFW, you're trying to avoid copyright infringement, but still commit copyright infringement. And I can't say that it's actually copyright infringement. I say that flippantly and ignorantly, of course. I tried to do a little reading on the subject and and made a brief attempt at learning the differences between trademark, copyright, and patent law, and my brain started to itself. But what I can assume is that because my buddy was a doll and not a Halloween costume and didn't have any kind of associated intellectual property, it's probably totally fine that this costume has branded itself my buddy in an attempt to avoid a cease and desist from MGM or whoever owns the rights to the title Child's Play. But it's just funny to me, and I got a kick out of it. And I thought I would share It's just a little Halloween magic for me. And like I said, the idea of dolls and what they've symbolized over the generations and what purposes they've served and how we have chosen to plug those things into horror is just really interesting to me. And I definitely want to do a killer doll or evil doll season or mini season at some point. Anyway, there's your treat. Now's the trick. This is not the final episode of season one of Ghoul School, a horror history podcast. So if you downloaded this and listened, hoping to learn about the found footage horror boom, sorry, that episode is on its way and I am hard at work on it. But this episode is the first of a kind of side spinoff series kind of thing I'm doing. Bonus content, essentially. I'm hoping to at some point call it Extra Dread It or something and maybe put it behind a paywall. But for now, I'm just getting the hang of it. And what I'm doing with these episodes is I am reaching out to podcasters who've had me on their shows and asking them what horror movie they would most like to talk about. For whatever reason, it could be their favorite, it could be their least favorite, it could be the first horror movie they saw, it could be the only horror movie they can watch. Whatever the reason, if it's a horror movie that's important to them, it's important to me, and I'd like to talk about it. 
But that's not all. When they give me the title of the movie that they want to talk about, I then recommend to them a lesser-known movie that they have not seen that I think would pair well with it in a double feature. Then they watch both movies back-to-back, and we discuss them. I'll provide a little info on both movies. They'll provide their insight. We'll talk about whether or not the double feature was a success or a failure, and why. And we just, in general... Be chums enjoying horror movies together. For this first episode, I asked Kevin Anderson, host and producer of Bleak and Review and no stranger to the Unpops Network, and just an all-around good dude. He runs the Killer Mike comedy open mic at The Other Door every Tuesday night in North Hollywood, or maybe it's Burbank. I don't know. I don't know. Things get blurry out here. But I asked him what horror movie he wanted to talk about, and he chose Cabin in the Woods. My recommendation for a double feature with that was 1988's Waxwork. We watched them both. This time we watched them together, and then we had a conversation about it. So without further ado, let's talk to Kevin Anderson about Waxwork and Cabin in the Woods. If you listen to the podcast, you know it kind of takes me a while to settle into a groove on something. One thing we can all agree on is that this is the first one. Yeah, this is. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Andy Sell, obviously, and uh, the the other voice you're hearing is Kevin Anderson. From the Bleak and Review podcast. Hi. Oh, I meant to hit applause. Perfect. I hit that. Perfect. Instead. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Absolutely. Uh, Bleak and Review. Killer Mike. Love. I love an Townies. open mic. I love an open mic credit. It's <laughs> Dude, great. You know, though, for years, everyone would bring me up to stage with. You know this guy from Facebook. His Facebook is oh, great. Yeah, he he gets mad on Facebook, and yeah. he'll let you know about it. Yeah. This next guy. Here's a thing he doesn't want me to tell you about him. Now enjoy <laughs> 10 minutes of his comedy if he's lucky. Yeah. It's always fun. Uh, uh, Townies what? is defunct, but yeah, it'll be back at, okay, uh, well, probably in 2020. Who are you? I'm Kevin Anderson. Kevin Anderson. Of course. Everyone knows. They love it. Do they? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, Kevin, why don't you tell us which film you chose? Uh, well, a little context for me as a movie viewer. I've probably mentioned this on other podcasts, uh, but... I, up until recently, have not been much of a horror connoisseur. I didn't know a lot. I've seen, you know, certain integral integral films over the years, but I, I didn't really think of it as a genre that was for me. So up until very recently, my most accessible point into horror was horror comedy uh, because, mm-hmm. like, stuff like Hell Baby and, like, things like, oh, Rob Corddry's in that, and it'll be, like, kind of a scary thing, but also it's funny, and I like mm-hmm. comedy, so... Uh, but a movie that I saw probably like right when it came out, I think, I think I definitely, uh, I didn't see it in theaters cause I don't go to theaters, but, uh, this one is my favorite horror comedy and one of the most fun movies I can think of, uh, within the genre of this, uh, this podcast certainly is Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods, 2011 uh, or 2009s, however you want to look yeah. at it. Uh, yeah. If we're talking conception versus birth. Yeah. <laughs> Life begins at uh, post-production is what I say. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have seen it, certainly. But, uh, you know, we got the we got a very early stage career, Chris Hemsworth, right? Yep. And then a bunch of people that you know from other horror films that I didn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, filling out the cast. We got Richard Jenkins and other guys. Bradley who, Whitford. Yeah, Bradley Whitford uh, as my favorite characters in it. And it's... Oh, they're the best. Their, their stuff is the best. Yeah. yeah. So I, I basically picked it because... 
I'd never really seen uh it really I mean it really sticks out as like a very good uh homage to a lot of horror stuff but also a very funny and smartly written film with a lot of really mm-hmm. Even though it's, some of it does feel kind of stale, some of the dialogue, because it took four yeah. years for it to come out, uh, really just fucking funny writing and great moments. Uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff going on there. So I don't know. It's probably my favorite, one of my favorite uh, things in the realm of horror, which is why I chose it. Yeah, and it and it certainly is in the realm of horror. It's, yeah. and it's I mean it's meta horror for yeah. sure. It's meta horror comedy. Oh yeah, and I was obsessed with meta when I was in college when I saw it. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, Charlie Kaufman writing about him writing a movie. Yeah. Like, whoa! Yeah. So anything that's self-referential to oh, that yeah. degree is very fun. Back, uh, uh, but yeah, so you were uh, you were excited to? I was excited to, to do the, Cabin in the Woods. To do Cabin in the Woods because and I was very interested to see what you would pair with it because I couldn't really think of anything as somebody who hasn't seen a lot mm-hmm. of horror films that that even kind of is in that realm. But you found something very good. But we'll, well I'm sure what, we'll get there. What's funny about that is that yours of all the people that I've asked, and I've asked a number of people now. I actually have a spreadsheet for this. Ooh. Can you believe it? But you got you got some a uh, bunch of people saying probably uh, different types of horror. Yeah, films. and some of them have kind of thrown me for a loop, and it's been a little challenging to mm-hmm. to settle on something. There's there are some where like someone will will say a movie, and I'll uh, have too many ideas. Yeah, you get overwhelmed. Yeah, like George Chen, who will be on a on an episode before too long. He chose Candyman and classic i my problem with that is that i have like six movies to pair with it that i and i can't narrow it down to one we have a septuple feature coming up here i watch all six of these movies in a row and there's other people that have chosen films that i've had having trouble coming up with even one that i think yeah would be good for it yours is the first one where it was like immediately i knew yeah what to pair it with because it's it's a comparison i've made several times even actually the first time i saw the movie you were like, oh, it's the like theater, blank. I, I don't want to reveal it. And I was like, oh, it's this, you know. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about Cabin in the Woods for a yes. little bit. Let us do uh, it. Before we get into what these two films have in common and what the other film even is. <laughs> Cabin in the Woods, for those of you who haven't seen it, I think you should see it. Yeah. It's great. Even if you're not a horror fan like I wasn't when I saw it. Uh, well, yeah. why would you be well, listening it's, to this podcast? It's, it's, but <laughs> you know, there actually are people that listen to this podcast who do not watch horror movies, but they... Like the podcast? I will say that this podcast is the reason that I started getting more into horror movies. Well, oh. and also just knowing you and Joe Kay and Adam <laughs> yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, all yeah. of my friends are obsessed with horror. Yeah, it's and I'm basically, like, fine, it, I'll, yeah, I'll figure it out. Me and Joe and, and a few other people, it's basically like if you want to hang out with us, yeah. you like you got to at least be able to, to be involved. carry your weight a little. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Pensive so The moments. film was written by Joss Whedon of yes. Buffy the Vampire Slayer and later Avengers fame. And uh, Drew Goddard. Cloverfield, Lost, Alias, yeah, oh, basically like if J.J. Abrams or Joss Whedon were involved, Goddard's in the mix. So was Goddard, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's right, because he goes back to all the way back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I also Whedon. have never seen a full season of. So really, like, yeah, yeah. Like it was one of those things that I kind of missed culturally. But uh, like once, uh, actually, you told me an interesting thing about Cabin in the Woods. That I'm sure yeah. we'll get to, but it'd be right. Yeah, it's an, so it's basically there's a season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that involves this group called the the. the <laughs> initiative or the yeah. syndicate or something there's some menacing corporate entity that's controlling everything well in this case it's not corporate it's i believe it's the Culty. implication is that it's government okay that it's like you know black ops government yeah off the books stuff and it's season four the, the finale to the season and this is a season that a lot of people i think kind of poo poo i love this season mm. i i don't care that the idea of the initiative is ridiculous i don't care that the ending is out of control. I just love that there's a that there's a really strong Frankenstein theme going on in it. Hell yeah. I like Riley. Everyone hates Riley. 
Boo. I love Riley, not just because he's from Iowa. Yeah. But he's just like, he's, I don't know. I always have affinity for like Superman and Cyclops, you know, the ones yeah. that. The, the Captain America type. Uh, upstanding, <laughs> got to do right by the. Yeah, the, the Boy the, Scout. Yeah, yeah the know? Boy Scout. Yeah. Were you a Boy Scout? I quit Boy Scout. Me too. Yeah. I, Hard quit after two badges. Yeah, I didn't like the God stuff. Didn't like the God stuff or like the activities. <laughs> yeah, same. I, you know, it wasn't the activities. It was the other kids. That's what I was about to say. Is if there was with. people I was friends with that I was going camping with, I'd probably have had a blast. But yeah. I didn't really like any of the kids in my troop. Yeah, well, this thing kind of happens quit, when so. you get to a certain age where, you know, if you get into like weird stuff, mm. you're not, uh, you can't be in Boy Scouts anymore. Yeah. You know, unless that weird stuff is like building traps for animals. I, I'm really, I'm really into whittling. Yeah. If you get, <laughs> Basket if, you, if you get into praying and guns, you can still be a Boy Scout. <laughs> but I'm if, hella into praying. But now. if you get into like, I don't know, painting your fingernails and watching. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. foreign movies. It's you know, suddenly. Yeah, they're going to send you to a god camp. <laughs> yeah, but I still have an affinity for that kind of character. No, absolutely. And that's what Riley is. And anyway, great wow, season. You love the season. I love the season. But it ends with something that, if you've seen Cabin in the Woods, it's like, oh, it's the same thing. Yeah. And it's kind of yeah. It's an it, Cabin in the Woods is sort of an extension of an idea that Joss Whedon and Drew, Drew Goddard had for that season of Buffy, where they kind of couldn't really go all the way with what they wanted, and then Cabin in the Woods became this. The history behind Cabin in the Woods is kind of interesting because at the time, both Whedon and Goddard were kind of coming off of this these these two failures where like they they both had a film project fall through. Really? What uh, what projects were they? I mean, probably nothing that anyone would know because they fell through. But yeah, I don't I don't know just specifically. Some stuff. Yeah, just yeah, some stuff. What they were, they both spent a weekend in a hotel somewhere to kind of get over this, you know, and then they just wrote this thing in three days. Sounds like a Coke bender. Yeah, uh, I don't want to, yeah, uh, I don't, don't want to make any <laughs> accusations, but that absolutely locked up in a hotel for three days and then coming out with a film that's absolutely cocaine or yeah. some kind of upper. Yeah, after three days, they had a screenplay, so mm, yeah, yeah. at the very least, they someone had a, let them borrow some Adderall. <laughs> they definitely wrote it in three days and then spent a month editing their Coke-fueled <laughs> fucking insanity, yeah. probably. And they drew most of the inspiration from the fact that Drew Goddard grew up in New Mexico near mm. the Los Alamos labs, mm. which is a weird place. Yeah, certainly. And, um, you know, you can see that in the film, this this idea of this, okay, there's this, this secret bunker. Bunker, yeah. exactly, that's full of these dangerous things. That nobody really knows much about what's actually going on under yeah. there. It's you have to be invited into the fold to even get a get the 401 on the biz. You yeah. Know? Now, I remember hearing... About development and pre-production news on this film from the via horror sites mm -hmm. as far back as like I think 2007. Oh I'm wow, pretty sure is when I Different first started America. reading about this. But the film didn't shoot until 2009. It was not released until 2012, which is it's because MGM, the studio that was eventually uh, originally involved in it and in the production of it, went bankrupt Oof. and it was shelved. And then it was picked up by Lionsgate. And even in that. There was a there was another like year of delay, yeah. Because they were going to convert it in post to be three D. Oof. They were going to release the film in three D, yeah. which they eventually scrapped that idea. Which yeah, but it delayed it by for, a lot. But it delayed it by a lot of time. In fact, it was delayed so much that in at some point in that time that it took the film to come out. Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon both had decided that they didn't like the movie anymore. <laughs> like the finished product. Yeah, and they didn't like the finished product. They didn't care. They didn't want it released. Lionsgate had to convince them that wow. the movie was still good. 
and could still come out. I could see that though. Like you spend that much time on a thing, you're fucking sick of it. Like in their mind, they were like, "This sucks because we've been thinking about it for like six years, and we were like ripping it yeah, apart yeah, in our heads." Exactly. But like yeah. the out the thing guidelines, guys, like, no, 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 trust us, we like it, and people will like it. <laughs> don't don't waste all of our time. Yeah. Even though we just spent three years on. 3Ding a thing that's not 3D. Yeah. (laughs) No reason. Do they put horror movies in 3D often? I feel like I haven't seen that advertised a lot, but also, like, you can pretty much 3D anything now, right? Yeah, but they don't... Usually when horror movies are made 3D, it's something that's... It's not... It's something baked into the concept from go. It's not like... Because the My Bloody Valentine remake was in 3D. Oh, right, right. There was a Final Destination sequel in 3D. I mean, there was a time, actually, around this time, which is probably why Why Lionsgate was doing it. I mean, they had a Saw movie in 3D. I remember that. That was like Saw 12 or something, right? (laughs) And there was... um, One of the Final Destination movies was in 3D. And it was like... Usually, that's the word 3D is somewhere in the title as right. a result. Piranha 3D. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and this goes far back. I mean, this goes all the way back to like House of Wax. Oh, yeah. In 3D. Watch uh, Paris die in 3D. <laughs> well, no, but even before that, oh. the original, the 1953. Oh, House back of when Wax. they first went through the whole yeah. 3D movie yeah. phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you had Friday the 13th 3D, Jaws right. 3D. Right. Um, it comes in waves. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. It comes in waves and it never really, really catches on. Yeah. So they don't make it 3D. So they don't make Joss it 3D. Joss hates it. It comes out. It actually is becomes kind of a cult, cele- like a celebrated cult film. Yeah, it's one of those things that, like, at the time I was super into, like, movie Reddit. Like, I was mm. just, like, very... And, like, I just... That's how I heard of it initially, because I didn't know... I don't follow, like, blogs or anything, but, like, the movie sections on Reddit that I used to go to, like, people were just, like, all about Cabin in the Woods. Like, you need to see this, blah, blah, blah. I was, mm-hmm. like, I was like, I don't know. And I, I just assumed in my head, because I had heard nothing about it. I was like, oh, this is, like, a... Was this, like, Cabin Fever or something? Like, I had no idea that it was this whole yeah. bigger concept of, like, a, a meta film and all this stuff. So I'm really glad that... uh I listened and watched it because I mean it's great, but it's great. But so they did. They eventually put it out, and then it so it didn't do well at the box office. I mean, I imagine it, if it's it, a cult it actually, hit, it probably no, it actually didn't. did. I mean, it it ended up grossing seventy million worldwide. Oh, okay. Uh, Forty-two million domestically. Its opening was only fourteen million, which is low considering it had a thirty million dollar budget. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> but it still, when all was said and done, ended up it's a slow burn, making back twice its budget at least so that's like a word of mouth thing where it's like yeah the opening night but it snowballed after yeah so it wasn't a (laughs) failure you know even numbers wise it was a success yeah but it also i think has stood the test of time in a lot of ways i mean we remarked upon it watching it yesterday yeah uh, that it does kind of some of the self-aware teen slasher trope stuff it feels a little like the Stale first, the first, then. I would say, like the first act of like, like the stoner kid who's like, hey, minds and our minds yeah. are crazy. And then, like, you know, the dumb blonde archetype. And well, then, ju- yeah. I mean, and the thing is, they aren't even those archetypes at right, first. They have right. to be made that way, which is part of the film's genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But like when you first see that, like, and you look at like the writing for that, you're right. It is very, like, like you said, scream. It's very Kevin Williamson. Yeah. It's very scream. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think it kind of had to be removed from, and even in 2009, we were, pretty far removed at that point yeah we'd had that. not another teen movie and yeah. uh, all yeah. that shit happened but I th- already i think having it be even just another few years removed from the scream cycle yeah it was helpful to it as far as like you it, it makes it even more clear 
it makes it even clearer that you're watching this. Like, like, like the first line that really sets that up for you is when Chris Hemsworth uh, sees the ec- economics books and yells at his girlfriend, like, who told you about these? Oh, yeah, who gave you these the, books? The, <laughs> from you, I learned it by watching you. But then they even turn it back on itself yeah, to reveal exactly. that that's a misdirect. Yeah, because he's and then, actually... And he recommends br- actual better books. Because he's like right. a f- on full academic scholarship. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff like that in there to kind of... I wish they had done a little more of that with the best friend character. Yeah. To make her a little... Le- I mean, they do... There's, there's enough ex- exposition as far as like, oh, we need to up these chemicals to make her, you know, libido higher. Yeah, and like she has to... We're making her dumb by putting hair dye. Like that yeah. they got to her somehow. Yeah, I mean... We don't have to break that down, yeah. but... Well, so if you haven't seen the film, what happens is it's it's a meta satire on the horror formula. Yeah. And it's a formula that was basically started by the slasher movies in in several ways, but then kind of throughout the 80s and 90s even became synonymous with just horror movies to the point where when Scream was made, they would just say, oh, it's what's your favorite scary movie? This is what all scary movies are. Not narrowing it down to slasher. Yeah. But, but that these tropes have now become a part of all even supernatural subject matter when it comes to yeah. horror. Yeah, and what it does is, is it the meta of it is great because not only is it a parody, but it also the whole mechanism of the thing that is creating these horror film-like situations is like explain like can explain the existence of every horror movie yeah, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of yeah exactly yeah. yeah it's like this is why these are this way this yeah, is why we're building you watch them a horror to movie and you're yelling at these people why are you being stupid like you see literally every step of that is like, exposited in this movie. Yeah, like as, the dumb blonde the, the, thing. The machinations of this other oh, yeah, every, entity. Every every frustrating horror trope of like the let's go fuck in the woods at night mm-hmm. or the we should split up. Yep. All oh, that yeah, is yeah. so beautifully yeah. uh, taken down. I love that. And what's really great about it to me where it's real genius lies is that it takes that meta commentary, that, that the, the satirical qualities there, and puts that into what is at first the B-plot becomes the A plot Absolutely. and is a part of the the actual narrative of the film. So Absolutely. That in a horror story as well. So that it's like the real horror story here is that this shady organization is doing this as a part of a ritual sacrifice. Right, to appease an to elder appease god. <laughs> some, yeah, to keep the elder gods from rising up or whatever. And I think that's genius to like... Oh, absolutely. The way that they did it there. Now... You know, I, I think by the end of the movie, you and I still have the same thing where we, we were like, no, 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 this we should kill this guy. This yeah. kid needs to die. Yeah, the, 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 without, I mean, you know, people probably have seen the movie. If not, there's going to be a bunch of spoilers in this podcast, I assume. Yeah, that's so just, 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 just deal be. with it. Um, but like the, the, the brilliance of, I think that might, I thought about it a little bit more after we watched it. And I think like, maybe that all unless it was just we need to end this movie i guess we'll just have this hand come out and smash everything yeah but like, it's because yeah. it's such a frustrating thing to not kill him at the end i'm like oh they still did a frustrating trope at yes. the end instead yes. of all the ones that were explained this is just a genuinely frustrating thing yeah. that moved the story along to the yeah. end and uh, yeah it's the one that one of the most infuriating scenes <laughs> in any film ever is like yeah. uh, i could kill my friend or everyone on earth will die and yeah. all animals and all plant life but everything will just just cease to exist well and i still like the the read that we settled on after that of like no he's just a privileged white dude and that's the whole thing is that like he's so entitled yeah and he's so privileged that he just he thinks that yeah if i have to die so should everybody yeah why why am i the only one uh what makes what makes what makes you all so much more important than me Uh, and i really do love that uh you know sigourney weaver who has a cameo in the film yes and it's great because 
Joss Whedon wrote Alien Resurrection that Sigourney Weaver was in. Right. Um, oh, my God. She shows up. She shows up. <laughs> she, she even explains to that character... Mm-hmm. Like when he's like, oh, right to his face, it's change. It's change. It's we shouldn't be afraid of change. And she's like, no, 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 no. This isn't change. And I really love it when a movie lays it out like, especially a horror movie, when it lays it out like that of like, no, this is not open to interpretation. This is how it's always been. This might be, this might be what you think we're saying. This is what we're saying. Yeah. Uh, No, it's not change. It's the end of the fucking world. Period. Yeah. Everyone on earth dies in pain. Uh, or you can just get shot in the head real quick. Yeah, and he's still like, he's nope. Like, mm, and, no. then, and then she pulls like her, uh, uh, what's her name? I can't even think of the character's name right now. Uh, main character uh, <laughs> pulls the gun <laughs> on on Stoner Boy Marty, and and he just goes, wow, wow, like like starts like shaming yeah, her he's, for he's like real caring about, about, about six about billion yeah. people. Seven billion, I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, that's the only like actually frustrating part of the movie. Everything else is so perfect, uh, and then it's just like I don't know if that's like common. If that is, if that is the thing, is like look at these young dumb idiots. This is probably what they do because mm-hmm. they're so up their own ass. Then I like that move, but boy, it's visceral. Yeah, <laughs> and it, the inclusion of Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford as the characters that you really because they're the first characters you see in the movie. Uh-huh. They're the characters that you really get to know. Yeah, throughout the film. Uh, and they're busting their asses to make yeah. everything work. And they're like, I mean, yeah, they're assholes and they're talking shit, but like they're just blowing off steam or whatever. But they're also the Greek chorus. I yeah. mean, they're they're there to kind of give the update on this is what's happening. This is why it's happening. Yeah. And in that sort of sterile office environment, it's great. It's perfect. It's just, yeah. It's like a, you could replace that with any bullshit, like with a party they have. It's like any bullshit company yeah. party where mm-hmm. like, like, you know, people are kind of friends, but not really. And so they're all just drinking and trying to like relate to one another yeah. in a weird way after like having a stressful yeah. week at work. But even then, almost every scene at least has a little bit of a, you know, reference to the boss or the the people upstairs, or the yeah. people downstairs. Yeah, yeah, or the, yeah. Like it's something with really some serious gravity to it. Totally. Um, to kind of anchor it so that it's like, aha, this is I know this. This is this is the guy I work with, and he's the one that acts like this. But then, <laughs> and then there's like the red phone rings, and it's yeah, like, oh, that's such a great shit. scene when they yeah. sh- turn off the fucking music and yeah. just finds out that's such a great scene. My favorite part is, well, one of my favorite parts that shows like how invested this whole thing is, is when Richard Jenkins gets stabbed in the hallway at the end and he just goes, please just kill him. <laughs> like, please just kill him. <laughs> yeah. Kill the guy. Like, I don't care. Like I'm dead, whatever. Everyone that works here is dead pretty much, but kill him or it's all over. And yeah. they're still just like, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even then, it, it, the the existence of this organization and its banality really kind of underscores a commentary about capitalism, or mm-hmm. just about like there is no ethical company. You know, it's 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 like yeah. the the you know the old joke, the idea of like there were innocent people on the Death Star too, oh, that were yeah. just doing a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it really this film drives that home. Of hundred like, percent. You know, just every company out there is doing something evil. Yeah. Is responsible for something awful. Are we going to go in and just kill everybody in there? Are we going to start throwing rocks through Amazon drivers windows? Like what is that? We just fuck them up. It's like, no, they're just, they're just trying to make money. Their, their lives suck. Cause like, you know, Jeff Bezos is the ancient one. Yeah, exactly. The thing that needs to take our sacrifices. And, uh, the thing is we have to appease him by not letting his employees shit comfortably when they're (laughs) driving around. And that's the only way to keep him sated. That's the other thing is like, they're, 
yeah, their friends get killed. You know, three of their friends die. So they're like obviously shooken up by the time mm-hmm. they get to the bunker. But then the amount of murder they allow to happen just to like they've already killed seven times that over. Like, oh my god! By the yeah. time they press yeah. that button yeah. and when let they everything out, all the animals, <laughs> the animals, <laughs> all the tigers, the assets, <laughs> the assets. Yeah, the 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 Jurassic World uh, hybrid monsters that they yeah. build in a lab to make people scared. Uh, they just kill so many people, and they're just like, there's no, there's no. Uh, uh, and like, and all those people are innocent. None of them did anything. They, they're they're all just there for a job. I mean, some of them had guns, but they're security. Yeah, uh, they just like, yeah, yeah, we did that because they they killed three of our friends. So now everyone dies on the planet. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that's the only thing. But fucking millennials. Yeah, fucking millennials. Right. Strange uh, gods. <laughs> and before this, you hadn't like your exposure to horror was very like. It must have been pretty. I mean, you know, I'd seen like I I went through like a Friday the Thirteenth phase in like middle school or something. Oh, man. I Friday watched, the Thirteenth ain't a phase. It's a fucking lifestyle. Yeah, though. well, it was a phase for me. You know, uh, <laughs> I got to Jason X, and I was just like, all right, well, I'm done with this. <laughs> uh, we did it. We did it. Uh, yeah, I'd seen like that. I'd seen like. From dust, uh, from, not from dust till dawn. Uh, uh, dawn of the Dead, and like mm-hmm. some, I like zombie stuff. I'd seen yeah. a lot of zombie movies. God, what else had I seen that was horror based at that time? Like there always had to be like some kind of like I like the zombie movies because they don't feel like straight horror to me. It's like it's like post apocalyptic movies, which I love yeah. with zombies. So I'm like those are the kinds that I remembered uh, most vividly. And then like The Exorcist, you know, I'd seen that, and I'd seen a few like the uh, the Omen, you know, Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> very scary. Never heard of it. Uh, yeah, Jaws, Jaws 3D. Uh-huh. That's the first one. Oh, I, yeah. That's the only one yeah. I've seen. That's the, I mean, that's the good one. <laughs> that's the good one. That's, really, yeah, that's, that's the where one it with, starts. That's, look, that's got Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. in it. You can't go wrong. That's where Jaws starts and stops for me. It's yeah. Jaws 3D. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like I hadn't really... Uh, and like, But I had no about like horror tropes because I was one of those kids that when I was like in elementary school or whatever, I would go to Hollywood video to get video games, but I'd always go through the horror movie aisle mm-hmm. just to look at the covers. Cause yeah, I was like fascinated the, with them. I know. I'm sure I know that's a pretty common that's thing. The thing. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah. And that was a great movie. Never heard of it. Ah, <laughs> I only liked the one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. You know, this actually wasn't bad. No, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. This, that's where it starts and stops, bro. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think this was the, like I, I referenced when I first saw Cabin in the Woods, I understood about half of the references that were shown, like, like the, like the types Mm -hmm. of monster or horror things I'd seen like I'd seen a lot of ghost movies. I remember seeing like, uh, house on haunted hill and 13 ghosts. The remakes, right? Not the probably. Well, I'd seen some of the originals too, uh, because my parents would rent them on Netflix DVDs. Oh yeah. And I would watch that, uh, and also, like, they would play. Do you ever watch, like, Bravo's 100 Scariest Movies things? Like, they used to no, run the Yeah, early I mean, I've 2000s. seen a few of those. Yeah. When That's where I have a lot of frame of reference for a lot of horror stuff. Because yeah. I loved watching, like, clip show versions of, like, oh, look at all these crazy movies. You know, for me, when I was a kid, there was this, I believe, made for TV, or maybe it was, it might have just been direct to video. But I think it was made for TV called, it was a special called Terror in the Isles. Ooh. And it was, uh, it was like, a, just a clip collection of horror movies that, like the Examined the big the big moments a documentary. Oh. oh okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was like the precursor to stuff like, you know, the 100 greatest frights in history yeah, yeah, or yeah. like, you know, bloody murder no, Bloody Murder is a Fangoria original. What's the other thing I'm thinking? Boogeyman. Did you ever see that from like uh, a, it was like late 90s? I don't think I ever saw Boogeyman. No. It was another like clip just a bunch of clips from like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And then people just like commentating over them? Or was it just a super cut? 
Did, was it set to anime music? <laughs> it was. It was an auto tune of the Double Rainbow. <laughs> it was. Song. It was. It was twenty four seven lo fi chill anime beats to study, relax, sleep to. Yeah, it was. And there was um, Instagram filters on Freddy Krueger and all of them to make him look like a dog. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. How was Freddy vs. Jason? Was that shit? Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, I didn't need it's it. It's bad. I never saw it. it. Look, a lot of people have a soft spot for that movie. That was one of the first movies that was like, I remember being like a major disappointment. To like me the hype for, you're like, wow, they're bringing these two franchises together and then yeah, it well, just sucked. Yeah, well, because it's a movie that we were waiting for mm-hmm. since like horror fans had been talking about this in, to, in some degree or another since like 1988. You know, like yeah. 88, 89. Because at one point, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, one of the pitches for that was a Freddy versus Jason so story. So that had been and in then the, in, the and common And then Jason Goes to Hell in, in 1990, right. what is it, 2, 1? Something like that. Had a uh, had the shot of Freddy's glove at the end, and it was like, oh, we're going to get Freddy versus Jason. And then, like, scripts circulated the internet for years and it was for any millennials that weren't alive during this time. Just think of all the hype for Daft Punk's album, and it's the same <laughs> thing. It's the same as Random Access Memories, but for blood. Yeah, <laughs> for blood. And then it came out, and it was just like, oh, this is what you did with it." <laughs> okay. Luckily, Daft Punk's album was great. Yeah. And there's not. It's not. That's not to say that I hate Freddy versus Jason. No, it's just right, it, it, it was, was like so the, much build up. There was so much build up, and it was like for me, it was impossible. Like I was twenty, twenty three or twenty four when that came out. And yeah, it, and it was it, man. I've been waiting for this movie since I was like six. Yeah, you know? and then it's uh, this is what it is. It's tough, but anyway. maybe not six. That's <laughs> a little po- nine probably. I was yeah. probably nine when I started. Six or nine, like, Ooh, baby. Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> no, oh, nice. <laughs> That's the reset button. Let's get back to the subject at hand. So Cabin in the Woods was... It was, it blended the great... The world... It really helped me get into horror in a way of like, oh, because the avenue of comedy, uh, like the comedy aspect of it and how mm-hmm. funny it was. Because it's interesting because Cabin in the Woods is such a specifically meta yeah. movie. It's, it's so... I can, it's hard for me to imagine anyone really being able to fully appreciate that film without a lot more exposure to the horror genre. Yeah, I mean, I think I think like really the reason I really went for it was A, it made me laugh a bunch. B, just seeing all of like these monsters and then like, you know, pausing like we were doing yesterday like pausing to see oh, yeah. like what are all these things? Did you ever by the way notice the the Left for Dead characters I, in there before? I don't think I think I noticed once you were that a gamer. I was a gamer and I I remember the, the we were talking about the uh the Left for Dead tie-in that was possibly yeah, going to happen. Yeah, they were going to have well, they, they were going to have a Left for Dead tie-in and then Which would have been fucking great. Uh, yeah, and then the movie didn't come out for four years. And now there's years. just a boomer in yeah. one of those cells. And, and, and like, one of the when? big pan outs when you see all the monsters in their cells, you can see a boomer, a tank, a hunter, and I think a smoker. A witch. Or a, the witch, right, which is the most terrifying thing from that game. Oh my God, the witch is the uh, scariest. So good. Yeah. I, I remember seeing that and like with my roommate in college being because we both were playing Left 4 Dead 2 at the time. And I was like, that looks awful, awful lot like yeah. a hunter and a boomer. Right. <laughs> and then like but then there was no reference to it later. So I was like, ah, I must just be parallel thinking and then find out later about the tie in. Like, oh, well, of course. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I just like monster shit. And like yeah. I was totally into what they did with it. And like the all like the the, the, just the game of it. And like yeah. it's one of those movies that also. I think I didn't fully appreciate it like the third time I watched it because I watched it a bunch of times and I would pick up on different things every time. Like the first time I watched it, I missed a lot of subtle shit like, oh, he presses a button and then the weapon that she picked up just shocks her briefly and so she drops it but she doesn't even think about it. Yeah, It's like really subtle and interesting. Yeah, there's so many little things like that in there too. Yeah. And it, it has a great economy about its how it 
it's visual storytelling yeah. and, and how it balances that with, you know, scripted exposition, whatever. But right. So have you found since coming back to the movie that you have a better understanding of things because you've maybe watched more horror movies than you did before seeing it, so now you can appreciate new things about it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially, uh, definitely because I've seen more uh, horror stuff and also, like, the fact that I'd seen it so many times, I can actually notice a lot more specific little things like those intricacies because I'm not so focused on the main story because mm-hmm. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. I pick out, it's like in a weird way when I first saw Inception, I know real, real weird parallel, but like <laughs> I saw that movie a couple times cause I was smoking a lot of weed in college and I was like time, but <laughs> I, I was just like, uh, wait, I was like time. but like every time I'd see it I would like pick up like a little new layer to it and I'm like oh I kind of like movies like that where you can kind of get new stuff out of it Mm -hmm. when you rewatch it and then I think because I've seen more horror stuff and I've also just since I've been in LA for six years and met so many people that are obsessed with horror and like just heard about more horror stuff and been more like in tune with what's going on it is uh it is a lot more uh it's a lot more fun that way just to be like oh yeah this is like a reference to those the like the strangers or whatever or uh those fucking bio what was it the dismemberment goblins dismemberment goblins so is there is there actually a monster from that marker board or from that you know that menagerie yeah. of of creatures that they have that you would like to see what's the one that you most would like to see Ooh, that movie that is feature on that? as opposed to the buckners uh oh absolutely the Good, redneck uh, zombie torture family yeah <laughs> which is not the same as zombies we all know that we all know that. or the reanimated or yep uh i remember uh <laughs> I think it just said, well, it said Kevin. Kevin, Which yeah. is the spider, I think? No, it's... I, I, or it was Elijah I, Wood. It's, it's a reference, it's just, it's a reference to Elijah Wood's character in Sin City. But they don't actually have Elijah Wood's character in Sin City in any of those cases. Yeah. Like it's just like it's a, just a little, name little, reference, little, yeah. a name check. A little Easter egg. Yeah. I think the funniest thing, because we actually talked about how it's weird that... The I, buck- re- I like to think that the spider's name is Kevin. <laughs> that the giant spider is named Kevin. He's a good little boy. Yeah. He eats flies. Uh, we were talking about this, and this is why I think my pick would be interesting, is because it's called the Buckner Place. The yeah. place that they go to the cabin and yeah. they get the Buckners. Yeah. I think seeing almost any of the other things there would be crazy because it's so specifically yeah, yeah. for redneck yeah. torture family. Yeah. How like, does what if Fornicus, those... Lord yeah. of Pain and Bondage, factor <laughs> yeah. into the Buckner is, place? Uh, yeah, the guy with the blades in his head uh, in the, one of the first cell encounters, uh, that's his full name, everybody. Fornicus, Lord of yeah. Bondage and yeah. Pain. The Hell Lord. Yeah. This I is, think, well, this is how headcanon I get about shit like yeah. this is like, so. If we're doing the meta thing for the the Buckners, obviously this would be the first movie in the Redneck Zombie Torture Family series. Right. If we if we weren't seeing anything else behind the scenes and we were just seeing a movie about this experience. Yeah. Like the Redneck Zombie Torture Family. Yeah, yeah. The Buckners. It's the, the pain. first movie in the Buckner series. You know what I mean? Yeah. For any of those others, it could be one of those like Elseworldy sequels where it's like Jason takes Manhattan or Leprechaun right. in space. It's Hell Lord at the farm. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, Fornicus. Yeah. It's Farmer Fornicus. Killer robots in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Because that's like, what I wanted to see. Is those killer robots are probably the most out of place thing that yeah. could have shown up at a cabin <laughs> yeah, in the woods. Yeah, it would yeah, been, yeah. There's like barely electricity there. Yeah, and merman, all of a sudden, I get there's a lake. There's a lake. Probably. The merman can sleep. The the giant snake would maybe work. Oh yeah. Uh, the the vampire bat for sure would work. Killer robots on this thing that like you, there's like barely a gas station on the way to it would have been hilarious that is like oh my god a technological nightmare (laughs) (laughs) so that one i think would have been great uh and then um or the clown 
If the clowns showed yeah. up in the woods. I mean, the clown, that would be like, you know, the 20, what, 20, 2015, 2016, when there was all those weird clown sightings going on all over oh, the place. Yeah. So the way this movie, if they had used the clowns, it would have been, you know, a little been, ahead uh, of its time. Well, ahead of its time. Be like, oh, I think uh, some people got, well, then we'd be blaming this film for the rise in weird clowns around the country. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, so like the first Hell Lord movie. Does not take place at this farm. No. The second Hell I mean, Lord it's movie, just Hellraiser, this, is, Raiser, this right? is probably, yeah. But I'm saying Hell Lord if yeah. it was a franchise. This is this would be Hell Lord 4 or 5. Maybe. Hell, Hell Lord's RV trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell Lord goes to the lake. Yeah. Hell Lord's fishing trip. Yeah. Hell Lord's bed and breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because his first one would be absolutely in like. I mean, it would be urban. Yeah, it would, it would be, be like be some very weird. Barker. It'd be a very weird warehouse kind yeah. of thing going on. Uh, and then there's like those, uh, uh, well, there's the werewolf, the werewolf would have worked in the woods. Oh, werewolf works anywhere. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Werewolf, werewolf is good. There's London, other places. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. I saw a Lon Chaney. I'm still mad. Rennie Harlan never got to make his werewolves on the moon movie. That sounds great. Yeah. I know nothing about this. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you need to say any more than werewolves on the moon. Point, yeah. Rennie Harlan was going to make a movie <laughs> about werewolves on the fucking moon. <laughs> Done. What was there was a few things like I don't think we ever saw the dismemberment goblins. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't really place. I couldn't find. They'd be like at Hogwarts. Anyway, witches and sexy witches. I remember. (laughs) Yeah, there was two different category of witches. So I think this is a good point. Yeah, this brings me to brings us to the double feature. Yeah. So when I first saw double feature. All right, go on. When I first saw this film, I saw it in the theater, and I came out thinking, oh, it's Waxwork. Yes. Uh, Waxwork is a film from 1988, written and directed by Anthony Hickox, and it was a favorite of mine growing up. It's one of those ones that I rented over and over again, saw on TV a bunch of times. Like, I love Waxwork. I never had seen it or heard of it before we watched it, and it was a blast. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It's a very fun movie. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the, the obvious connection between the two films to me and why I would recommend them as a double feature is that they both feature monsters run amok at yeah. the end, essentially. It's, a monster, a, it's a monster super, yeah, It's a monster, monster mash. mash. Yeah. A bit of a graveyard bash. Yeah. I, did you first see this movie when you were working the lab late one night? Yes. <laughs> yes. Cool. Yes. Just wanted to check. Yes. Let's move on. I do often wonder whatever happened to the Transylvania twist. <laughs> yeah. Good gravy. So the obvious connection is these these uh, the monster mash it's, element. It's of it's it a it's end. a super group. It's and a damn. It's the Avengers yeah. Endgame of all like a lot of Universal stuff, like Universal monsters. In yes, the, and I uh, love those. Oh yeah, you got your Draculas, you got your Frankenstein's, you, you got, got your, your mummies, your Wolfmans. Which, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into more specifics. But what an insane looking Wolfman that was in oh, Waxwork. In, in Waxwork, yeah, yeah, that thing looked like it's like one a, of my favorites. It looked like a were owl or like an yeah. owl bear like yeah. from like fucking Warcraft or whatever. Yeah. It was great. John, yeah, John Rhys Davies as that's right as as, as uh, the werewolf. Yeah, of the well, here's the thing. I well, they also of. both kind of feature. There's a ritualistic element. Yes, they also both are very meta. Yeah, and employ a lot of satire of horror tropes. I was going to say the 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 satire of the dialogue we were talking about in Cabin in the Woods is funny because it's like we were talking about how that's kind of dated or whatever. It felt mm-hmm. a little, but it was far enough away that it still worked. Mm-hmm. And Waxwork 
I don't know what they were satirizing. No, 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 that no. dialogue it's, is insane. It's insane. It's, it's, it really is like <laughs> the you, main you feel lost through most of the There's first a rich white girl named China. Yeah. <laughs> and she, they're just like, oh, man, forget about China. She fucks everyone. She's a bitch. Like, yeah, there's it's, crazy choices for the actors. It's, it's interesting, which I think owes to the other thing that connects these two films, mm-hmm. which is that they were both written in three days. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, Waxwork was written in three days. So what happened is Anthony Hickox was a club promoter in London in the 80s, and he made a short film there, and a producer friend saw it and thought it was so good that he bought Anthony Hickox a one-way ticket to Los Angeles and said, don't come back to London until you've made it. Nice. Hickox goes to Los Angeles, and of course, like anyone who moves here, has a very rough time. Yeah, he's like, oh, man, I, I lost all $300 I had. Yeah, <laughs> and he's broke. Yeah. And one day he rear-ends uh, a producer in his car. Oh, my God. And Is this time, a movie, too? This is, this, is, this, is, this is apparently what happened. Anthony Hickox rear-ends producer, God, I'm going to, Stefan, Stefan? Arenberg. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, Anthony Hickox had no money and said, mm. instead of calling anybody, getting insurance companies involved and me having to pay or whatever, how about I write you a script? That's insane. And in three days, Are you Anthony serious? Hickox wrote the script for Waxwork I, for producer Ehrenberg to. The producer was uh, like, I'll around. accept your payment in pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> a three act payment. It's so fucking weird. That's that like, absurd. I, how come I've never rear ended anyone? Yeah, I, I've rear ended one guy and I just gave him money out of my wallet to not have insurance <laughs> coming to kind of play. I've never been Why like. Why would you settle for money out of someone's wallet when you could get a screenplay? Uh, yeah. Also, like, what did he know it was a producer? Was he just I like. I don't know. I don't look. Was he offering to write for anybody? I'm also sure some of this story is embellished a little bit. Oh, I'm bit. sure. Yeah, it's very, it's very romanticized. Yeah. But that is, if that is, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. at the very least, he definitely met this producer because he rear ended him, yeah. which is still very meat. <laughs> cute like rom-commy yeah uh and so he made this in three he wrote waxwork in three days yes after that wow yeah. also seems like a very cokey movie yes <laughs> the script was also very different from what ended up being oh okay uh, shot uh, well not very different it was the same basic story yeah it had the same thing but i also think that a lot of the dialogue problems and a lot of the uh a lot of the narrative show v tell problems yeah in in waxwork are because it was written in three days you know what i think is uh the second draft of that after the initial one they were like we had to humanize these villains a little bit let's throw the marquis de sade in there because yeah, he feels like a hasty addition it's so bizarre <laughs> there's a lot going on in this film I mean, just like Cabin in the Woods, and this is another parallel that I really love about the two, is that not only does it do this meta thing with them, but you see what goes into these different horror scenarios that they right. like with cabin in the woods. It's just the one you see all the other possibilities. It could be. Yeah. Though that is, yeah, there were settings for each one yes. that, but in waxwork it's, it's, there's, it's a whole different world for each one. And I really love the kind of lore occult explanation. That yeah. They use for that. Uh, well, we should probably uh, explain as people who haven't seen it. Cause I imagine a bunch more people haven't seen this as opposed to cabin in the woods. Yeah. Uh, the trope is there's a bunch of kids that are, the, the story is there's a bunch of kids that go into a wax museum and it's all, got devil magic happening and all of the wax uh, things are different scenes from like, there's like a vampire scene and a yeah, Phantom I mean, of the Opera it's, scene. It's horror fiction for sure. With the exception of the Marquis de Sade. Dude, it's but, so funny that but that's they, in there. But the implication, and they even say this, it's not, it's not an implication. It's a fucking explication yeah. that these 
are all real people and yes. real creatures. The from 18 history. most evil men in the world yeah. is what the explanation is. So yeah. the mummy yeah. and yeah. and a Dracula. <laughs> yeah, a but, Dracula, but, but if you, though there's like six Draculas. Yeah, yeah, there's so many. Yeah, there's like a whole coven. Yeah, and, dr- but, and by the way, Dracula is played by Miles O'Keefe in it, who very uh, handsome. was Ator in all the Ator movies. Ever heard of so him? So he was uh, hot, hot ticket. Hot, come on. In 1988. But the, so... If you fall into or walk into the display, uh, you get transported to like a mini verse of this yes. specific character. So like the first guy who throws his lighter into the display trying to light a cigarette his, like an insane person. So that actor's performance, he plays the character Tony. Yeah, Tony's insane. Is my favorite. He makes my favorite choices in the entire movie in that scene. Like when he goes when, into the the werewolf thing, yeah, and, and he's, he's trying to figure out why he's in a different reality. Oh, it's all of hypnotism! A sudden, and he settles on he moves from someone slipped acid into his drink. Oh, right, boy, I don't drink which anymore. Which he doesn't. He gave up alcohol. Good yeah. for him. Yeah, he's he's improving. They slipped um, it into my so buckler. It couldn't have been acid, even though it's like, did you have water? They can put acid yeah, in water. They can put acid in things. Um, I don't drink because, water anymore because he's not drinking alcohol. It's like, uh, uh it wasn't acid. Hologram, then, <laughs> then immediately then dismisses immediately that. Is like, no, 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 it's not a fucking hologram. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. It's not a hologram. I'm definitely hypnotized. Yeah. Like he just moves on to something just equally as ridiculous. Yeah, and he's like, you couldn't hypnotize me with some beautiful babies with some <laughs> bodies on the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just the biggest choices, and then he. Well, gets, then he just. He, I love that he just like up. Oh, I'm gonna go along with it. Why not? Oh, immediately, just like, well, I guess I'll go into this house. Yeah. Like, let's just go check out what's going on here, despite all these ominous warnings. Yes. I shouldn't go in. Uh, and then finds John Reese davies turning into a werewolf. I mean, yeah, just there. don't go far away from here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And then I think my favorite, he's hilarious in that. I think my favorite actor in terms of insane choices is in the next vignette-ish, you know, this thing, the the Draculas. I'm going to say vampires. I keep saying a Dracula because I know it's upsetting yeah. to people. Yeah. It makes me laugh. I think it's fun. Uh, uh, but so the guy who's apparently in the canon of this is China, the lady China's uh, fiance. fiance. Oh, he's uh, what an unsung hero. Yeah, that he's like tied up in the Dracula's pure like like white like like doctor basement. Like this big yeah. mansion has like this like futuristic hospital room in the basement. Uh, and then he's tied but down. I think it's to. supposed to be a kitchen because oh. there's champ. Here's the other thing, but it is white. T- it looks like a like a like an operating theater. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I was thinking. But. It's a kitchen because he was the meal. Don't right. Forget they, that. Yeah, his leg meat's all gone. His leg meat was their meal. Up. The steak tartare was his leg meat. <laughs> yeah, she ate his, his legs. And there's also the rack of champagne bottles. Right. That one of oh. the vampires gets impaled upon. What a great and scene that is. this is where this movie works the best, is yes. in these little segments. Yeah. Uh, accepting the Marquis de Sade one, which is just... <laughs> Jesus Christ. What a weird turn. We'll talk about I understand, that at I understand that in, in the world of cult film celebration, it is difficult, if not impossible, to separate things like Salo and uh, things of that nature. Yeah. Serbian film, maybe. I yeah. mean, Salo is definitely more what we're talking about here when we talk about the Marquis de Sade segment. Yeah. It is kind of difficult to separate that from mainstream horror. So you have to have something that's kind of like that in there. Yeah. The Marquis de Sade is a very weird choice for it. Yeah. 
Very um, sudden, too. Being the only real figure in there other than, you know, and this is even up for debate, Jack the Ripper. Right, who who isn't featured uh, outside of the final smash em up scene. Like, he's, he's, yeah. he's, the camera pans past him, yeah. and the guy who's making the woman well, drink it, gas. It's funny because there's not a lot of exposition about any of the other things that we don't see them operate. Yeah. You know, like yeah. um, the pod people. They're all analogs. And that's the thing is the original screenplay, they were. So that guy with the axe. The one oh, diorama you see. Who keeps growling like an otherworldly beast, but is just a guy with an axe. Yeah, he's yeah. just a guy with an axe. Was initially going to be Jason Voorhees. Uh, in the original script, that was written to be Jason Voorhees. And the dialogue in the film where the guy talks to him about the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was originally a scene revolving around the Jason Oh, display and that's why they, they made a say, movie out of him. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's it's it goes to show it's hard to find out why some of this stuff is so specific. Yeah, because and where and where the failings are because in that scene, if it had been filmed with Jason Voorhees and it was a display of Jason Voorhees instead of this axe murder guy, that's like who the fuck is? This? Yeah, just just fucking Paul Bunyan. Yeah, uh, it's it's okay. That's Jason Voorhees, and then and then the the phantom dialogue there had been. Oh, that's the oh, mask Jason from, from that's yeah. the mask from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. And he goes, they made a movie, and then the guy know? saying, "Oh, they made a movie based on the Jason killings." It would make a lot more sense. It actually does, yeah. Not then <laughs> they made a movie based on the Phantom of the Opera, and it's like, yeah, the novel is from like that fucking eighteen hundreds. What are you talking about? Yeah, like what, what, I know that you like some kind of hell servant, but wait, can you not look at a newspaper? Yeah. You know, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, there's like a hundred Phantom of the Opera movies. I just remembered. That first scene where our main villain just kills oh, a guy. Yeah, your favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah, one of my favorite parts. Is it just, is one of the boldest choices for a cold open for a. Yeah, film. the cold open is a thirty second scene where a man gets fucking burned, his face burned off at a fireplace to the jubilant oh, right. music right. of sing, sing, sing with right. a swing, and then and then hard cut to just the theme music that you've been listening to on the DVD menu for the last yeah yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I just wanted to bring that up because I was thinking of the villain. But the idea that these are all supposed to be the 18 most evil men in the mm-hmm. world. And it's like, okay, Jack the Ripper, Marquis de Sade. And then it's like, the pod person? <laughs> yeah, that also has a a line from Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, feed me. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of this. Like Initially, they were going to have uh, children from Village of the Damned. Yeah, in there. Um, uh, yeah, so they were trying to make it more of a literal franchise thing, like a bunch of franchises. What did it prove to just be like? We can't get the rights for all this shit. Yeah, I mean, look, of Vestron course. picked it up. They didn't have any money. No, for sure. Like they're not. Yeah, they don't have the money for. They're that. like, what if? Uh, I mean, Phantom of the Opera's public domain. Why don't we go with that instead of? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did kind of like. There's some stuff because Nutty Zombies from Hell, I think, was originally supposed to be Dawn of the Dead. Right. Because actually, I guess that's what I thought script, it was supposed to be. There was a scene where one, two of the characters watched Dawn of the Dead. Oh. Uh, um, interesting but yeah they nutty zombies from hell is what they call it but it does look a lot like the first which uh, also confuses things further to be like wait it's just a movie like what i don't uh he his story goes into black and white when he jumps in the uh in his display Uh, because everyone finds their unique display the goal for the the villain is to complete all these hell portal displays with dead bodies so he can summon satan or something uh, or no, it's so they all come alive and can wreak hell on Earth. The weird thing, the weird thing about the Marquis de Sade is that the character who's like doesn't have a lot of lines up until mm-hmm. the middle of the movie when we see the Marquis de Sade, like, and she's like fascinated with it, and we're like, oh, so her, 
She's the most explored character and only in the sense that she wants to be into BDSM shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody and else this, has any development really other yeah. than that. It's just that we know that she's like a straight A student, but she's a freak. Yeah, you know, she like a that's freak. the idea, yeah. right? It's it's the oh, the glasses come off. And I mean, I don't think the character actually wears glasses, but it is essentially like, oh, she's like, yeah, it's it's uh and, and the way all those characters... Well, what's interesting, too, is that that actress, Deborah Foreman, mm. was dating Anthony Hickox oh. when they made this movie. And uh, they broke up before he made the sequel. So it's not her playing the same character in the sequel. The character's in there. Oh, different actor. great. We got to watch the sequel yeah. soon. Oh, we uh, should. It's great. Bruce Campbell's in it. Yes. Let's talk about the the characters in this versus the characters in Cabin in the Woods because I feel like they're, bo- they're all rich kids. In both movies, don't you well, think? Well, you know, it, it's hard to... I mean, they're definitely privileged kids yeah. in the first movie. In Cabin in the Woods, in, yeah. In the first movie. In the first one, in the first, Cabin in the Woods, which is the so emotional... The movie, the movie that was released, what, 20, 30 years after the other movie. In the chronology years. of this podcast, though. Uh, the former uh, film. Uh, yeah, they're all they're all privileged. They're all at some kind of college, so, you know, they have college money, at least. Yeah. And Marty's, like, you know, a fucking stoner, and he's got all of his silly bongs, so he has money, disposable income. But they are, like, in Waxworks, these kids are, like... Oh, my God. They're so unsympathetic because they're... Yeah. Like, the idea is they're rich. Like, butlers. They have like butlers. Jenkins. There's a guy, there's a guy literally named Jenkins. Yeah. <laughs> his butlers. Yeah. yeah. And it's... Would you like your caffeine, sir? And it's it's said explicitly that they're in college. It but does. But that building they're in is a fucking high school. It is not. <laughs> yeah, they did not film that out of college. Uh, they're all worried about missing class, which isn't a thing that happens at college. No. So, like, I think they just kind of tacked the word college onto what was supposed to be a high school script. Like, yeah. they were supposed to be high schoolers. Because yeah. they all live at home, too, I mean, right? the classroom looks like a college classroom. Yeah, yeah. That, with that but Nazi the, lecturer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. The hallways... Are high school purely? Yeah, there's um, lockers. And also, they all still live with their parents. Mm-hmm. Like it's it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. No, no, and no. None of them are anything except one of them's clearly like uh, banging everybody and wants to be taken care of by an old man. Uh, that was her. Yeah, thing. she wants to date an older man, but in the meantime, she's gonna have sex with the football player because right. he's got a big schlong or whatever. Who, who was super unnecessary to the yeah. whole film, but he yeah. he shows up and then just dies, and that's it. Um, he's in there so that he can say the line "back row boogie" right and do a dance. And then like our main, like I don't even remember. So there's uh, what was the f- well, so so there's Zach Galligan. We have really buried the lead on this. Yeah, Zach Galligan from Gremlins yes. is the lead in this. His name is Mark, and Mark. he is. Quite possibly the most unsympathetic protagonist oh, yeah. this side of the 80s. Super you know? jealous, super entitled, whiny. Oh, uh, God, so whiny. So whiny. So uh, whiny. And, and just like, but he's like the guy that figures it all out. And like yeah. his big moment of... Diff- and the thing <laughs> is, because it's Zach Galligan... You're fine with like if anybody else had played that character. Yeah. Oh my god! Like this movie would not work nearly as well as it does. <laughs> and they're all in suits, wearing sunglasses indoors, smoking cigarettes. Like, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, uh, and everyone. Then, there's so many cigarettes smoked in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it was very triggering. Like I was yeah. like, I need to go have one right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then there's there's BDSM lady who Zach Galligan randomly falls in love with for a second and then like like yeah. once his he realizes his other girlfriend's not showing up he's like well i guess i love you now yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. she's like well of course i like you like what yeah that's <laughs> look not a lot of this is developed no it's well. great but Again, it's, the script was written in three days this yeah there's this and then there's the other two that are like the guy who's like women a lot and then his girlfriend 
Those two, remember they're they're in the they're in the ensemble. Yeah, yeah. Somehow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they somehow are there for Act One and Act Three. That's about it. Yeah, but, but yeah, that also kind of adds to the charm. It's sort of like what Dracula says about the meat and the sauce. Oh, uh, when he says the sauce, which true. is blood, he says it's salty. But that all adds to its charm. Yeah, and there's something that's... in that to me that just applies to this film as a whole. I agree. Where because it's so fucking weird. And it's so all over the place, but it's also so dedicated to very specific choices. Yeah. It becomes a thing of beauty. Like Absolutely. Like I I sound like I'm picking it apart and people listening might think I didn't like this movie. I fucking you loved, loved it. this yeah, movie. You loved it. Especially like like the specific moments of like the, the, the detective behind his desk with just six cups of coffee yeah, just yeah. immediately yelling at him yeah. for bringing him a case. Like, yeah. oh, you better be fucking right. I'm going to throw you in prison. Yeah. <laughs> like just yeah. so mad. The fact that there are no stars in the yeah, movie there's too. No stars. Other than David Warner. And Patrick McNee, who plays Wilfred, Sir Wilfred. Oh, right. The, uh, uh, the, the, the wheelchair the Teddy Roosevelt, yeah. Uh, yeah. Winston Churchill analog. Uh, no, FDR, FDR, who right? Was a, he, well, yeah, I mean, look. <laughs> <laughs> he's Teddy Roosevelt before, FDR after. <laughs> he's a Teddy Roosevelt in the streets. <laughs> FDR in the sheets. Nice. Um, <laughs> Like, for sure, a bad person. Oh, yeah. Like, um, definitely a war criminal. But yeah, but also, like, he's the one that knows how to beat the monster. And, like, the his VFW buddies. Oh, my God. At the end, like, literally, the, the end showdown is between all of these monsters and their victims, who are now monsters. Yeah, like, there's, like, a bunch of reason. zombies, wolfmen, all the things. And then this guy, this old man in a wheelchair who brings all of his buddies, like he you said. He brings, like, 40 senior citizens <laughs> With, over. like, bats and clubs and, and golf and guns, clubs yeah. and shit. That was probably the funniest reveal of, like, look at the... And, like, they just amble in slowly to defeat Satan. <laughs> like, yeah. they're like, all right, here we go. Yeah. We're the warriors. <laughs> That's so, it's so no, great. No, it's so I I it was the best. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. an anomaly as far as wax museum movies are concerned. Right. In a uh, lot of ways. Cuz that's uh as you were describing to me cuz I don't think I've seen uh speaking of like you know going back to things I'm aware of in horror and <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen I never saw House of Wax, the original, or yeah. the Paris Hilton Must Die one. And I don't know. I don't even think I know any others other than Waxworks and Waxworks 2 now. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's uh, Waxworks from 1927. Oh, right, uh, right, right. right. film. Uh, and then there's... Similar you know, concept. Terror in the Wax Museum, House of Wax. Wax on, wax off. Mystery of the Wax Museum, The Wax Museum, a Twilight Zone episode about... A wax museum. I mean, it's a nightmare that. in wax. It, it, it's it, it is a sub 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 genre. Yeah, for sure. It, it, that mostly owes to the old dark house sub genre. But I, I guess I guess where we're arriving to now that because I I actually like Anthony Hickox, the writer director of Waxwork as well. Like he's a, he's one of those guys that kind of did one cool different thing. And then as a result, got to do a bunch of sequels yeah. to popular franchises. Like Brian Trenchard Smith from Australia is another one of these guys that did something really cool and then was making Leprechaun sequels and Night of the Demons sequels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anthony Hickox did, he went on to do Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat, which also has Bruce Campbell in it. And it's, a, it's a vampire Western movie. Oh, that sounds great. It's is pretty fun. Hellraiser 3 he did, which I think is one of the best Hellraiser sequels. Uh, Warlock 2. Which is, of the three Warlock movies, maybe my favorite. Okay. And that's saying a lot, because I love the first Warlock. A Mario Van Peebles werewolf cop movie. Yes. That was made for, I believe, HBO. Might have been Showtime. I feel like I've I heard of I think it this. was HBO. 
because uh, I saw it when it was on when it first aired, and it's great. It's called, it called? Full, full Eclipse. Uh, okay, I've seen this like in references on things. I've never fully watched it, but I feel like I. Have I to. will say I haven't seen it in years, I'm but just... I did like it a lot when I was younger. <laughs> it's Werewolf Buddy Cops. Yeah. <laughs> so I I I love waxwork. I'm still confident about very clearly knowing that that's the movie I wanted to pair with Cabin yeah, in the Woods. I think that was perfect. And yeah, so do you, I was going to say, do, how do you feel it works as a double feature? I think uh, at first I wasn't sure because it seemed like it was going to be, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that like, it looks like it's going to be a, oh, people go into a haunted house yeah. thing, slowly pick them off one by one kind of movie. And I was like, all right, I mean, there's a lot of different monsters, so maybe, but once it kind of became this thing about like, the big, I don't know, like the, the the shitty kids, and they're all kind of representing some kind of archetype. Because you know the classic '80s archetypes. There's like the the guy who smokes cigarettes, mm-hmm. the lady named China, the girl that's in a BDSM. <laughs> yeah, uh, all, yeah all, of those, all of those classic archetypes and tropes that we're very familiar <laughs> but, with. But like, because it is, and it's actually like, like you mentioned, it's like there is an yeah, the, inner the working cop who eats a submarine yeah, sandwich and wears sunglasses, the, and, and that's really all he does. The guy who barely speaks, but was definitely in Miami Vice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, the other two. Yeah. <laughs> That's a classic archetype. I also kind of have this feeling that, like, Hans. Oh, the, 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 the little person, Butler, Hans. Yeah, wait, the Butlers are hilarious. And then Junior. The who giant, is the, the lurch fucking lurch-looking motherfucker. Uh, they're like the Richard Jenkins and Bradley Woodford of Waxworth. Totally, yeah. They're, they're the kind they of have their... this little fun uh, relationship with each other. Yeah, and, and, and they're, like, part of this thing that we don't realize until later like in cabin of the woods that it's the interesting thing is in cabin of the woods it's put keeping dark arts at bay or like darkness at bay and in waxworks it's to create darkness yeah that's why this machine yes. this this uh, entity of uh all these different you know satanic portals into these specific universal horror yeah. things are existing is because they want to bring about the end of the world as opposed to keep it off so yeah. it was kind of an interesting flip in that regard and also just like everyone kind of has their thing. Like when they're betting on stuff in Cabin in the Woods, it's kind of like how everyone in Waxworks is drawn towards a specific thing. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to get the vampire. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, like it's the guy, you know, maintenance always bets on the redneck zombie torture yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Bradley Whitford always wants, wants to see merman. a merman. And in, in Waxwork, you've got the cop who loves Egyptian history. So yeah. he goes to the... He goes With to the... one of the most gnarly the fucking kills. Thing. It's my favorite part of the whole movie, I think. When he rips mummy. a man in half vertically. That was it, right? No, that's, oh, the, that's, were- the, that's the werewolf. What was yeah. the one I'm thinking of in the... Uh... When he steps on the guy's head. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. God damn. Yeah, it's a great uh, double feature, but I will think that... I will say that... Uh... But I, I also just think that in the way that Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford sort of bring the like the quotidian comedy of this yeah. to like the relatability of it where it's like you've all got that guy you work with yeah, yeah who's yeah. always talking about this or whatever you know and things are constantly going wrong right also like they have to deal with it's just like oh, I gotta call IT because my computer bro it's like oh the fucking tunnel didn't collapse yeah, yeah, yeah. fix that you gotta go fuse in, it in waxwork you've got Hans being like oh, not enough people showed up oh and then and then the, when when Junior comes out with the drinks too early. Hans comes out. It's like, no, you're supposed to wait. You wait. You wait. Yeah. <laughs> this little German guy, like, like he's like, yeah. t- he's so. It's... And he's definitely got to be a reference to the lead character in, in Freaks, Todd Browning's movie. Oh, Freaks. yeah. I think that, that's what I, that's where I was thinking. I was like, because I have, again, from the Bravo's Top 100, I've seen clips of that film and I know exactly what you're talking You're like, a little gobble guy, right? That's the one. Well, no, that's oh. one of the. 
Maybe I have mixing it up with something else. I feel weird using the word freaks now. <laughs> That's one of the freaks. The, Hans is the lead character in Freaks. Oh, the, okay. Um, I was thinking uh, of something different then. Maybe I was thinking But of, it's like, the same fiction. movie. You yeah. are thinking of the correct movie. Right, right, right. It's just a different character. Yeah, he seemed like definitely a reference to things. As did Junior. He feels like he was very much a reference to oh, like... Lurch. Yeah, Lurch. Or like even to an extent like kind of like a... I mean, Jaws from Bond, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, maybe a little, uh, I mean, little Frankenstein, but not really, because he doesn't really speak. He yeah. just cries, right? You know, rumor has it that Frankenstein, the mm. Frankenstein in Waxwork, is Kane Hodder. Really? Who played Jason. He's very tall. In uh, several of the Friday the 13th movies. I feel like that was like a off-brand Halloween costume version of, like, they couldn't get the rights for Frankenstein. because it, it, Well, there's oh. no rights for Frankenstein. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you can you can do, I mean, th- you can true. call it Frankenstein, you can call it Dracula. Yeah. You just can't, uh, you can't say Jason. You can't have Jason in there. You can have the Phantom, you can have yeah. the Invisible well, because, Man. Yeah, the Invisible Man's in there. There's Making the, someone drink gas. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. I really I'm kind of sad nobody fell into that display. So I was be like, "What?" Yeah. I wanted to <laughs> well, see that one more was of the complete, Cobra though. guy. Yeah. yeah, or the I wanted to see less of that voodoo guy. Oh, that was the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's the only like problematic thing in the whole movie, I think, except for the slut shaming, because uh, there's a bit of that going yeah, on well, too. Yeah, but I think the idea there is that like, look how evil men are, you know? Yeah, I, but it's hard to because she sucked, but they sucked also. Like everybody's like we said, everyone's unlikable in the whole cast. <laughs> like, so it's not problematic yeah. if everyone's the worst and yeah. they're all act and then they all die basically. Yeah, I mean they did get away with there was the baby, the mutant killer baby, which was definitely oh, the yeah. baby from It's Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think they just shot in the face yeah. <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> make the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the baby gets killed for or, sure. No, the, also the bat. The guy catches the bat out of the air and shoots it in the face. He says make my day that's right while shooting the bat in the face with a with a large revolver that's so good yeah one of the fucking vfw sam elliott types yeah yeah so you're fred i wonder if it's the guy who is clearly a 25 year old in a wig and oh, the, fake mustache the mark twain looking yeah. motherfucker yeah. just grabs the bat is yeah and and uh what were we saying we were saying like the as a i guess going back to that as a double feature mm-hmm. A hundred percent because having the context of like, I think cabin in the woods does the same thing like with more current monster tropes yeah. in movies that it does with more classic ones in the, uh, in wax works. So it's like, uh, they're just the same movie that are placed in totally different time frames. Like they yeah. can vary in a lot of like uh, the same emotion, like the most same, like the same passion for the genre went into both. I think. Yes. Yeah. That's what I would. That was yes. What I would the say. difference being that, you know, the three days it took Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon to write, I mean, they were, like, spurred by passion or whatever, like, because of a film. Well, and their cocaine was projects. way more cut, too. They were, they were guys that, were, that had been working together for years. They, right. they knew, they both clearly know a lot about storytelling. And whereas Anthony Hickox's three days To avoid were, insurance were, problems. Yeah, to avoid uh, maybe possibly going to jail. That is so great. For being at fault in an accident. That's the best story ever. So it's, yeah, you know, look, you can write a screenplay in three days. True. <laughs> You're going to want to revisit it, though. <laughs> You're going to want to redraft. It's like, oh, then Jason sure. comes in, and then Freddie comes in. Yeah. The Marquis de Sade with... I'm looking for something more, because that's what he's... Because that's how she hints that she's into BDSM. Yeah. Yeah. But and look, like, look, I don't I want to kink shame. Like, no, not at all. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a BDS no, community it's just or a, like if it's that's a, what you're doing. It's just a very weird thing that is the only thing they focus on for well, any and character this is like, Yeah, and it's one of those, like, this is one of those movies that stigmatizes it. A hundred percent. Yeah. For sure. They're like, he's like, 
Because like the Marquis de Sade's like, oh, you're, you're, I can't do it. I'm not even going to try it. Oh, hello. I'm the Marquis de Sade. Like when, when she, he goes to, Mark goes to rescue her from being whipped to death, which I guess. Which is, there's like, she's, no, she's fine. She, her back is. Her back they has like some paper cuts they on They ran it. out. They, they have so many visceral, like uh, practical effects it's, it's, in this film. Yeah, that's, it, it really is. I mean, the guy's leg is gnarly. The werewolf ripping of dude apart is yeah. gnarly. And there is some like serious gore <laughs> that's played up for laughs in this movie. But then, like the scene with her being whipped, it's like and she's supposedly like, had three inch red from, lines on yeah, her. She's from within an inch of her life, yeah. and it looks like she scratched her back on some tree bark. <laughs> yeah, and she definitely came. Oh like, that's yeah. The other thing is because she's he brags about he, it. He brags. I mean, she doesn't say one way or the other if she did or not. Yeah, she um, never confirms. But he, he goes. She might have been faking it to make him feel better about his whipping. He just goes, yeah, right. Uh, I've never been whipped like she that. Just felt first. bad for him because clearly he's very insecure. Oh, hundred percent. Definitely didn't have a good relationship with his he, mother. He pre-whipped. That's the yeah, thing is um, he had premature yeah. whipping. He's like, oh, my whip normally doesn't get. Doesn't fall out of my hand that he, quick. He came after two lashes, and that was, <laughs> and that was it. Oh, God. Uh, but he's and like, That's oh, why he spent the rest of the time calling her a whore, because he just felt yeah. bad about... Yeah, that, that that was a very uncomfortable scene. All oh, yeah. It. I don't know a lot about the actual also, Marquita like, side. The but... guy that he brings over, his buddy... The Marquis de Sade's oh, yeah. buddy from work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray <laughs> yeah, yeah, or whatever, Ray. like Jim from accounting. Yeah, look, he's not my real friend, but like we get drinks at happy hours sometimes. But today, I'm going to bring him over to the man cave and show him what I'm working with. Yeah, I'm going to watch. Like, he's going to watch a woman get whipped to death. That guy gets into it way too quick. Yeah, he's like, so he on board. Immediately is like he's worse than the Marquis because even the Marquis is like, I don't know if I should kill this girl, and then and he's, he's like, like, No, do it. I'll fuck another one. <laughs> yeah, uh, kill this one. <laughs> like, like. Don't don't spare no expense on my account, please. Yeah, but yeah, the, the Marky like brags. He's like, "Oh, you are mad that I made your girlfriend come with my whip." And it's like, first of all, they've never had that yeah, talk. They, they are they not dating. Don't put labels on this, yeah. man. <laughs> it's just such a weird. Like it feels like such a thing that was like somebody involved, whether it's a producer or somebody like was like, no, we have to have the Marquis de Sade in this movie. <laughs> like that's how it felt. Cause like everything else tracks. And then it's the Marquis de Sade, like well, alongside this, the mummy. This guy I went to college with yeah. was in a production of Marat Sade and he played the Marquis <laughs> de Sade and he look, everyone loved him for it. But look, I know Kurt, he was actually a dick. <laughs> I had to live with him for two years. and He was a dick. You know what? Maybe listeners have more information. He never put in money for paper never towels in. Never when we in. needed to get, and those were for the house. He was a dishes Kurt. soaker. Like he would let them soak, oh, and, but never clean his he dishes. He cut a tomato in half for a sandwich once, and he just left the other half of the tomato on the counter. We got <sighs> fruit flies, and he was like, "How do we get these fruit flies?" And I'm like, "I don't know, Kurt. Let's Maybe whip him." Fucking tomato you left out on the counter, you fucking dick. <laughs> anyway, so it's got to be the Marquis de Sade. That way, if Kurt sees this movie, he knows I hate him. Yes, absolutely. And Kurt was great with a sword. <laughs> That's the other thing <laughs> that we were, we were fascinated oh my God. by. Was the assumption just Zach Galligan's character is rich? Of course he knows how to sword fight? That I get. Like, to an extent, they never even had, like you said, there wasn't even a, there's a big sword fight just scene in the movie. Just have a fencing trophy. Fencing trophy or just I have fencing class later today, so I don't know if I can make yeah. it. Like, I have that's to make all my maid write my paper yeah. because I've got oh, a fencing tournament. Boy, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, is the Marquis de Sade like a swashbuckling pirate? Because that's how he's portrayed when I mean, he comes to life in I the real world. I definitely feel like the idea was they wanted to have a... Fight, a sword fight. A sword fight. They wanted Hickox wanted to do the Fairbanks-Flynn type thing here. And I guess, I guess like, 
I guess like out of all of the people involved as on the the bad people side of it, the Marquis de Sade is probably the best choice for that. Yeah, he but really like there should have been one illusion. Errol Flynn thing. Yeah, but it's like one hundred percent. Who are you gonna? Is, who's it gonna be? Like, is Dracula gonna sword fight? Yeah, do you have the Wolfman? <laughs> He's just like, he's on guard. And I do wonder if the Marquis de Sade was the original choice there. Maybe I, it was originally supposed to be Zorro. <laughs> one of the eight, little, did we know, yeah. Zorro was actually one of the most evil 18 men in history. Yeah, alongside classics like Guy with Axe and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, who I believe showed up yep, at one point. Yeah, they were there. And uh, Jack the Ripper and uh, the Invisible Man, whose main thing is... <laughs> using gas pumps, local gas pumps to kill people, to kill women. He was like a musketeer. That's what he was like. He looked yeah. like a musketeer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Marquis d'Artagnan. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the musketeer de Sade. <laughs> musketeer de Sade. Marquis d'Artagnan. This is Bleak Review. Both of those will be in contention for episode title. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that scene, I mean, and it's fun. And then the movie kind of just ends. And I kind of liked that it did just kind of end with like a classic horror like sting at the end of like the the, the zombie hand, hand yeah. crawling away which leads us to the sequel which i haven't seen yeah yet. the sequel is great the yeah. sequel is again like i said it's uh, as i told you yes it's one of those sequels like the gate 2 where it takes the world and the characters and then does something completely different with it yeah. i mean waxwork 2 is it still has that like uh, here's some segments that we're going to hear some yeah, places. Yeah, we're going to see going. some things yeah, that we planned uh, out independently. It, it it does the thing you never see horror movies do, horror sequels do of like what were the what were the actual consequences of this movie? Yeah, as opposed to like Saw the Saw franchise which I like the first two and I know we don't talk about it that long at all, but I think Saw 3 is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> it's really bad. I, look, I'm a Sawpologist. Uh, I have a whole <laughs> I have a whole thing about the Saw movies. We could talk about that off mic, certainly. But I was going to say, like, with those in that series, though, there's very rarely any... It's always just kind of like, here's some new traps, right? And, like, like, I know that there's different characters and the lore builds and everything, but, like... It I wouldn't say it builds. Well, there's more. <laughs> definitely, there's definitely more banal minutia. Yeah, yeah, it definitely multiplies. Yeah, but I don't, yeah. I don't think it builds anything. It, it spreads like a virus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, that's it's like it's though. fucking crabgrass. It's not. <laughs> yeah, you, you kill a little bit over here, the more just pops yeah. up. It's never gonna end. But yeah, so that's interesting. That the uh, se- would you pair the sequel with anything? <laughs> I mean, aside from it, probably yeah. not. Aside yeah. from the original yeah. waxwork, I don't know if there's a lot I would. Fair enough. Recommend. How do you, what do you think about the order of the double feature? Do you think Cabin in the Woods is good first, or do you want waxwork first? I think for me, A, I think a lot of people have seen Cabin in the Woods. So I think, especially if you've seen Cabin in the Woods already, start with Cabin in the Woods mm-hmm. because you'll have that in your mind a lot more fresh, uh, freshly <laughs> while you're going into waxworks. And yeah. I think it'll be more fun as a double feature to be like, to think about like the more modern take on this idea. And then compare it to what we saw and that with that crazy writing and just yeah. the, the, the fucking because the, there's the both films are gory as decisions. fuck. They're both gory as fuck in their own ways. Like they're both very violent and it's oh, yeah. like to, you compare that stuff. I would say waxwork is actually despite. Yeah, the, it is. It, there were a lot of MPAA cuts to that film mm-hmm. and you can see them like when you watch that movie, you can see where the cuts are. You can see where the MPAA said, nope. 
Yeah, um, I can tell. Like, like the still, ripping in half yeah, and all that. It's still a more explicitly graphic movie. Yeah, because Cabin, Cabin in the Woods. In the Woods. Uh, but Cabin in the Woods, by implication, has rougher shit. Because it it was also in that time, immediately following the right, like wrong turn and right. hostile and right. things like that, that had this more brutal, like, re- like more gritty, like yeah. see the thing actually happen, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, the classic kind of drag them behind, hear the slash, well, see the blood yeah, spray. And just the thing. idea. I mean, like, you know, Jason will punch somebody's head off in Friday the 13th Part 8. But the the Buckners, in, I mean, like, they drag that rusty saw across oh, that yeah. woman's neck. Oh, like, yeah. And they, uh, uh, I mean, the fucking, the, the knife through the throat of uh, the, the scholar oh, in, yeah. the, in the RV, which is also a great, like, just like, all right, we got to stick together now. And they're just like out of nowhere. It's yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they paid off that bloody hand. Also, Chris all. Hemsworth is. Well, I mean, that's Chris the best Hemsworth's death. death the is the best. Funniest in, part of yeah. the whole movie. I think, I think you could jump it. Dude. 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 Like, I've been waiting for this. Chris Hemsworth, who was cast in the Red Dawn remake because of dailies from this movie. And which then maybe arguably got him cast as Thor. Yeah, I got the timeline on that is, I think it works. I, I mean, think. Thor ended up coming out before. Oh, right. Cabin but it was Woods before by yeah, the while, dailies. The but, dailies. But the yes, dailies. From 2009. Yeah. Yeah. Now I see what you mean. Actually, yeah, because Thor was 2010, right? Checks out. I don't have to freak out about it. All right, cool. Uh, that's great. I'm just like racking my brain for yeah. Who knows? Years. Look, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I think I think start with Cabin in the Woods because chances are you've at least seen it or are familiar with it more. And then I I really enjoyed making the parallels while watching Waxwork after. So that's how I would do it. Yeah, I think you chose right cool. the way that we did it. You think the films have a nice dialogue with each other? And uh, do you get a? Oh, I thought. Well, Waxwork doesn't have a good dialogue. No, in no, it, no. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think so. I yeah, think they're complimentary, is I guess, which you already gave the answer to. Yes, I'm a genius. <laughs> right, thank you. Well, they're both very. I mean, yeah, they, they they have dialogue with each other. The one thing we didn't mention is how many times in Waxworks it's referenced the like. Well, we talked about it a little bit. How many times they're like, uh, "Wow, if this was a movie, this would be that part." Or yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. And so like. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of that meta stuff going on in And Waxwork. I don't think they explicitly say we're in a, like a horror movie thing in Cabin in the Woods, but like just the very existence. I mean everyone's decision. I mean it becomes pretty clear once yeah. Marty when they're in the the you know the artifact room. Uh, the, the puppeteers, man. Yeah. Secret. But even before that when oh, he's like yeah. don't what are you doing? Yeah, like, Quick, do not read don't the Latin. Don't read the Latin. That is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm drawing a fucking line. Don't yeah. read the Latin yeah. in the Which murdered is, girl's journal. Yeah. Yeah, that actually, that's probably the biggest nod to like, I've seen horror movies. Yeah. Which well, is, and that's Evil Dead. Just like the cabin is. Right. Just like that, you know, I mean, it's. Yeah, it's all, yeah, I think they have a good time. I think they definitely, uh, they're definitely saying a very similar thing of, we know you love all this shit. Uh, let's make it hella zany and just throw a bunch like let's do a greatest hits of your favorite horror stuff yeah and be self-aware in the process i think yeah i think they definitely all right cool that's what you asked like cabin in the woods and waxwork <laughs> are both great you yeah. should watch them thank you kevin thanks i want to thank thanks, thanks for, for having kevin me. for having uh, sorry if i derailed things a lot with the that's soundboard fine. i'm practicing for my new recording setup for bleak and review so i had to do some stuff all right but i had a great time and thank you for showing me this movie well thank you for hanging out and watching yeah. this movie watch movies everybody yeah 